Good morning and welcome to a Tuesday morning, July the 5th edition of the Christian Underground News Network. I'm your host, Kurt Chamberlain, along with your co-host, Pastor Dick Chamberlain, and our regular Tuesday morning guest, Dr. J.B. Hickson. Uh, as always, we're really thrilled to have Dr. Hickson with us again. Uh, he's always got some insightful and meaningful things to talk about. Uh, today is no different. We're going to be talking about a subject that we're all, uh, as humans on this planet, uh, familiar with. We've, we've had to deal with it at least once in our lives, maybe more, and that subject is grief. That's right, grief. We've, we've all felt it. We've all dealt with it. We know how tough it is, and uh, we're going to talk about that today. Now, JB, I know there's some good secular science out there on it. Um, there's uh, the Kubler-Ross uh, diagnosing uh, diagnostic uh, material that says that there are five stages of grief. Um, they are, in general, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And, uh, you know, that's all good secular knowledge. But I think that most people kind of uh, limit themselves to whatever the secular science is out there, uh, that, that what it says about how to deal with grief. Uh, and they never consider what the Bible has to say about dealing with this really difficult emotion and, and subject matter. And uh, we don't want folks to limit themselves to just the secular models. Uh, I believe that they should know what the Bible says about it. Uh, so could you kind of clarify for us uh, how Christians should deal with their grief first and foremost? And, uh, and you know, if we can include unbelievers in that, because uh, they, they deal with it too. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, first of all, thanks again for having me on. Always a, a great uh, pleasure to be with you on Tuesday mornings. Look forward to it every week and um, want to wish everyone a belated happy 4th of July. You know, we uh, had a great celebration as a family yesterday. And, you know, people that follow my uh, ministry, ministry know that I talk often about the problems in this country and the trajectory of our country not being good. And, and, uh, but I want you to know it's still the greatest country on the earth. <clears throat> and even though Amen. our freedoms are being uh, stripped away, uh, actually more and more rapidly in these recent years, uh, it's still uh, an incredible thing. We can gather together on Sunday and worship the Lord, and we don't have to worry about soldiers barging in and hauling us off to the gulag, you know? So, um, so I, I, uh, we had a great day Sunday at Plum Creek Chapel in, uh, in the Denver area in Sedalia, Colorado. We do an annual God and Country Day celebration where we uh, put up a huge tent that we uh, rent and we have catered barbecue and uh, bluegrass music and just a great time together. And I want to encourage everybody to be sure and check out my message. I think it's one of the most important messages I've preached in a while uh, that I prepared just for Sunday and our special event. And that was called why America needs the church. Yes. And uh, you can listen to it on our podcast uh, channels, or of course, watch the video with the slides. But uh, I think America needs the church more than ever before today. So I encourage you to, uh, to listen to that. But, uh, but back to our topic at hand today, we're talking about grief. And I want to remind listeners of something I know you uh, certainly agree with, and that is that the Bible is the only standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices. And so, Amen. as you say, uh, secular 
uh, humanistic uh, psychology does have some observations, which when you get right down to it, that's really all secular humanistic psychology is because they have no ultimate standard, no ultimate arbiter of truth, basically like looking in the mirror, making some observations and then formulating some principles such as they are from that. Um, uh, but nevertheless, you know, certainly we are to study life and we are to learn from life and hear the rebukes of life and so forth, as scripture says. So I don't want to be too dismissive of some of the secular discussions about grief, uh, but we ought to recognize that the Bible really gives us the definitive ruling on the matter and that tells yeah, us right. how Christians should respond uh, to grief. And, you know, grief is a reality. And uh, we see this again and again in Scripture. Um, we see God's people weeping. We see uh, even whole cities weeping. Uh, we see, remember in uh, John chapter 11, uh, Mary and Martha weeping over the death of Lazarus, and even Jesus himself, the Son of God, wept uh, in, that, in that instance. Um, we see Jesus himself weeping uh, as he rode into Jerusalem. Uh, in Luke chapter 19, and just before the final week uh, of his life that led him up to the cross and the grave and ultimately uh, his resurrection. And he saw Jerusalem and he wept because they were about to reject him and crown him with thorns. And even though he was their Messiah, um, we see, you know, uh, Jesus later that week in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, weeping. Mark 14 uh, he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, the prophet Isaiah, by the way, in Isaiah 53, 3, tells us that uh, Jesus is a man of sorrows. And yeah. so then we see the disciples weeping in John uh, uh, 16, uh, because Jesus was about to go away, remember, in the upper room discourse? Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Jesus says, because I told you these things, sorrow has filled your heart. And so it's a reality, uh, sorrow is. Uh, we see people weeping over the loss of loved ones. We see Paul in his writings, for example, when writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 2, 4, weeping over uh, and having many tears, the Bible tells us, over right. his uh, believing friends there in Corinth. Um, we see Paul in, in that great section of the book of Romans, chapters 9 uh, through 11, when he starts talking about Israel and his countrymen. And he says, I have great sorrow and continual grief yeah. in my heart. Uh, yeah. So, you know, we could go on and on. Uh, but the question is, you know, this human nature, this, this human quality of grief, what do we do with it? How do right. we how do we deal with it? What's the biblical response? And so you, you really might call uh, our discussion today uh, a theology of grief. Uh, right. Theology just means uh, the study of God. And so when you talk about a theology of a particular topic, you're saying, what does God say about this topic? And right. he's given us the uh, the handbook for living and life. And, and Peter tells us the Bible has everything we need for life and godliness. Mm -hmm. And so we need to put uh, grieving in uh, the proper perspective. And I think, you know, the best place to start for that 
is a passage, interestingly enough, that we come back to again and again because of our love for Bible prophecy, and that is First Thessalonians chapter 4. Yes. Um, let me uh, set the stage for this, if I, if I may, in 1 Thessalonians. This, of course, is Paul's second letter that he wrote chronologically. He wrote it uh, after his, uh, or actually on his uh, uh, third missionary, uh, or second missionary journey, excuse me. And it was written in 51 AD, so, um, you know, very early on in the days the church, the church was less than two decades old. And, um, and, and he's writing to these believers who had lost loved ones, uh, and he says to them in verse 13, I don't want you to be ignorant. In other words, there's something you're forgetting. There's something that I don't want you to uh, not realize. You need to realize what I'm about to tell you. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, about those who have fallen asleep. Now, I think most of our listeners know that falling asleep is a euphemism in scripture that's often used uh, in, in scripture, and it means dead. Uh, so I don't want you to be ignorant about those who've died. Um, some of their loved ones had died, and they were concerned about that. When would they see them again? And, and what's their future? Where are they right now? What, you know, how, do I, how do I make sense of the fact that someone who used to be with me, who I love very dearly, is now gone? And so Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have yes. no Right. The first thing we need to understand right out of the chute is there is a distinct difference between grief in the life of a believer and grief in the life of an unbeliever. Right. Or at least there should be. I mean, the raw quality of it is the same, but it should have a different eventuality, a different landing place. Yes. Eber grieves. Paul is very clear here that we don't grieve the same way an unbeliever does. Right. Uh, he says, as others who have no hope, he's thinking of what uh, he had written or will write later chronologically here when he says to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 2, that apart from Christ, without Christ, we are aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, and yep. we have no hope and are without God in this world. That's right. An, an unbeliever is separated from a holy God, uh, estranged, an enemy, Paul says in Romans 5, and has no hope. Uh, see, hope has to be rooted in truth and in absolute truth, the only kind of truth there is, and that's given to us in God's Word. Uh, people have fleeting hope. They can hope they win the lottery. They can hope they get a better job. They can hope they start to feel better when they get a cold, but real hope is rooted in uh, the Word of God, uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's something that is a not a feeling, but a fact. Right. So uh, here, Paul in Ephesians is describing the difference between a believer and an unbeliever in terms of their hope. And you know, a for a unbeliever, all they have are the temporal pleasures of life. Yes. You know, they they are born, they grow up, 
They have temporal pursuits, temporal pleasures, fleeting pleasures, and all throughout their life, it, if they live 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, even 100 years, it's all just a vapor that passes away. And then, and then yeah. they, and they, if they don't know the Lord Jesus, then they'll spend eternity separated from God in a literal place of torment called hell uh, because of their sin. God doesn't send people there. God's trying to do everything he can to rescue people from the penalty of sin. But if a person chooses not to receive the free gift of eternal life, then they're going to you spend eternity uh, separated from God. So that, that reminds me of something that Jonathan Edwards once said, JB. Okay. And it, it, I, I'm going to quote it directly here. It's, he, he said, this world is all the hell that a true Christian is to ever endure. And it is all the heaven that unbelievers shall ever enjoy. Yeah, that's right. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when we when we sometimes talk about, you know, going through hell, uh, we need to remember that uh, this is nothing compared to the literal hell that some people are right. uh, someday. But, uh, you know, in Psalm uh, 31, uh, there are many Psalms that talk about this, but this is one of those Davidic Psalms, meaning written by David which he says, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's a, uh, you know, there's a certain type of hope that only believers have. Yes. And it's that hope that we should, you know, lean on, and it, it's connected to this idea of safety. Um you know, but behold, this is Psalm 33, an anonymous Psalm, but behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. A horse is a vain hope for safety, uh, but uh, those who hope in you, you know, have, have a firm hope. So, uh, so as we think about grief today and try to make sense of it and look at some biblical principles related to grief, the first thing we need to understand is that believers and unbelievers grieve differently. Yes. Doesn't mean we don't grieve, but we grieve differently. So again, back to 1 Thessalonians 4, this is where Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, reveals the doctrine of the rapture. In fact, that word rapture in the Latin translation of the New Testament is actually used in verse 17. The Greek word is harpazo, but the the Latin word is rapire, meaning to be caught up. And so what does Paul say? Let's just close the loop on this passage before we move on. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who've died because, you know, I don't want you to sorrow like those who have no hope. For if, and the idea here is since, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus, that is believers who've died. To be in, in Jesus is a unique Pauline term that means to be positionally right with God, positionally in Christ. So those who die in Christ, that is Christians or believers, um, you know, he says, those who've died are going to return with Christ at the rapture for this grand reunion in the sky. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first, meaning their physical bodies will be resurrected first, to meet their souls that are already in heaven. 
And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And then notice what he says to conclude this section. He says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. That's right. So what's the opposite of grief? Comfort. When we're grieving, we need comfort. You know, we're hurting. We're hurting emotionally. And as I mentioned at the outset, there are a lot of examples in Scripture of people grieving over a lot of different things, but it hurts. And so Paul gives this teaching about the future rapture of the church, which he goes on to uh, give further details about in, in 2 Thessalonians. Um, and then we see him mentioning it down the road on his third missionary journey when he writes uh, 1 Corinthians, where he discusses it in chapter 15. He discusses it in just about every one of his epistles. In Titus, one of the pastoral epistles, he talks about the blessed hope. Right. So the rapture is a blessed hope. Why is it a blessed hope? Because all of those things that we might grieve and sorrow over on earth will disappear in that one twinkling of an eye at the rapture. Amen. Uh, the grief, grief over lost, I mean, over uh, loved ones who have passed away. Well, we're going to see them again. Uh, grief over yep. the decline of morality and, and the sinfulness of this world, that'll be gone. Um, grief yes. over uh, watching people suffer. Uh, you know, that's another reason people grieve is they, they have loved ones who are suffering physically uh, or in some other capacity, and it just right. hurts, and we just want to take that pain away, and yes. we can't do it. So uh, I'm just trying to show here that this idea of hope, which is the antithesis to grief, is kind of connected and wrapped up in God's plan of the ages, which ultimately involves us all leaving this sin-stricken earth and being forever in a place of perfect peace and righteousness and, and justice. And it's when our hope really is becomes a realization. Um, you know, if you go over to uh, Romans chapter 8, there's another oh, one of my favorite chapters in the whole book. Yeah, I've heard you uh, talk about that before. Uh, I uh, love it. Another key passage about hope. And uh, Paul says in Romans 8, 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. <laughs> yeah, for right. the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the realization, for the revealing rather, of the sons of God. Mm -hmm. Creation was subjected to futility because of the curse of sin. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Uh, now, he goes on to say, for we are saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. Remember, I talked a moment ago about the difference between a believer's grief and an unbeliever's grief and a yes. believer's hope and an unbeliever's hope and how an unbeliever just has this temporal fleeting yes. Pleasure to pleasure type of physical, you know, hope on this earth. Right here, Paul actually goes and says it even much stronger. He says that's not even really hope when you get right down to it. That's true. Uh, hope that is seen is not hope. So if your hope is in everything that you can see, mm -hmm. you, you you know look around you and you know ha happy pleasurable experiences are are the basis for your hope. That's not hope, and because Paul right. says, think about it, why does one still hope for what he sees? Mm -hmm. Why would we hope for something we already have? Mm -hmm. We hope for what we do not see, 
We eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Right. And he goes on to describe how the Spirit of God helps us when we're suffering. He says, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray uh, for as we ought. You ever been so despondent and grief-stricken that you don't even really know where to begin to pray? And Paul says that's when the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, a lot of people misunderstand this passage and and, and, and mistakenly think that this is talking about us uttering things and groanings and so forth, but this is the Spirit of God on our behalf praying. So isn't it great to know that the Spirit of God comforts us in in that way? But what Paul is really saying here, and he repeats this theme many times, for example, in Colossians chapter 3, he says, you know, if we were raised with Christ, and we were, we should seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Right. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. Right. Similar passage in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, he says, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it might be conformed to his glorious body. So, again, there's this idea of hope. So, the first principle is there's there's unbelieving hope and there's believing hope. There's Christian hope and there's there's non-Christian hope, and they're different. And as Christians, you know, we have a a permanent hope. We have a steadfast hope. uh, We have an ultimate hope. And similarly, there's two kinds of grief. Paul makes this clear in the passage we read in 1 Thessalonians. There's the grief that unbelievers have, which is essentially endless. It has no solution. All you can do is use willpower to put it out of your mind and try to focus on happier times, right? Uh But for a believer, we can pass through the valley of grief, and we do so with the right perspective. And so... You know, because we're not, we're just sojourners and pilgrims. I talked about this Sunday in First Peter chapter two. We're just passing through, um, you, because our citizenship, as we just read, is in heaven. So the first principle is, you know, their grief is normal. It's natural. It's a part of this fallen world in which we live. But the grief that we should experience and do experience as Christians is different. It's yes. just different. And how is it different? Well, it's different because we have hope. Paul, the difference that Paul describes between, you know, the grief of an unbeliever and the grief of a believer comes down to those who have hope and those who don't have hope. So, uh, you know, it sounds trite. I realize that, you know, um, but sometimes things sound trite, not because they are, but because we've really lost sight of their profundity. And secular psychologists will say, well, someone is suffering or someone is grieving, you know, don't go up and tell them, hey, a better day is coming. You know, it's going to get better. Don't worry. Uh, Well, that's exactly what the Bible tells us we should tell them. That's exactly right. (laughs) They need to hear it. They may not uh, accept it in that moment, but they need to hear it because it's the word of God. Uh, And the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder like soul and spirit, and is the center of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So we absolutely need to be reminded when we're grieving 
that uh, we have hope and a better day is coming. And again, not in a flippant way where we walk up to someone grieving and say, just get over it, you know? No, no, we, we want to come up alongside them and grieve with them, but in a different way, in a, in a way that looks beyond the moment yes. to that better day uh, that's coming, because a better day is no question uh, coming. And so, you know, I feel like um, that's the first principle is that there's two different kinds of grieving. But the second principle is we need to recognize that grief by its nature is limited to this earth. Yes. Grief by its nature is limited to this earth. See, there are so many things that uh, changed uh, in, in the garden the moment we fell. When, when the image of God and man became corrupted because of the fall, when all of creation became corrupted because of the fall, when all of the created realm, you know, became under the curse of sin, yes. that's when grief entered the world. Right. Um, you realize that Adam and Eve, prior to the fall, they never grieved? That's right. Um, and, but now, grief is a reality. So if we understand our theology, if we understand the, the plan of the ages and God's word, then we know that grief, like so many other aspects of suffering, is just temporary. It's, right. it's not something that we will always have, uh, you know, uh, to deal with. Uh, someday, as Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 15, this, this mortal, uh, this physical, in other words, will put on immortality, yes. corruptible, We'll put on incorruption. <laughs> yeah, amen. And so that in and of itself, I mean, really the, the solution to grief, when you think about it to Curtis, is the same solution to any of the earthly struggles that we face. And right. that is that we need to keep it in perspective, you know? Um, I mean, losing a loved one, as tragic as it is, and we've all lost the loved ones, you know? Um, yes. I had a dear friend that, that you know that, I passed away a few years ago. It was one of the hardest, uh, you know, losses I've ever experienced. The hardest. Right. Um, and I had to do his funeral and, and I miss him dearly. And I think about him often, especially with all that's going on in the world, because he was a man uh, who, who really understood the Luciferian conspiracy. And, um, but, you know, I, I, even though I miss him, I know I'm going to see him again, you know, right. Um, death for a believer is the golden key that unlocks the riches of eternity. Amen. It's just a door to the next phase of life. So, right. you know, when we trusted in Christ and him alone for salvation and became a born again Christian, at that moment, we received eternal life. Amen. So eternal life is just that eternal. And it just so happens that the first so many years of that take place on this earth. Uh, and, and, but then, after however long that is, which is just a speck on the timeline of eternity, when you think about it, uh, we will continue on in perpetuity when time shall be no more in 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 the eternal state. So, yes. um, so really, it's hard now because we live in time, space, and matter, and I miss my yeah. friend. But someday, I'll see him again, and we'll have all of eternity <laughs> right together. Amen. So, you know, suffering is a, is connected to the fallen world. Yeah. And, and so, so therefore is grief and the way to handle it is to keep it in perspective. Um, so another principle that I want to point out, as I think about first Thessalonians chapter four, is that grief 
is not an enemy. It's not a sin. It's not wrong to grieve. It's a reality. So sometimes we make a mistake when recognizing the, the perspective of a heavenly perspective on grief, we try to squelch it. And we think, and we mistakenly think, well, I should not grieve because, you know, I'm a citizen of heaven and this is just temporary. And, you know, the sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared uh, with what it's going to be like someday and so forth and so on. Well, that's a mistake as well, because Paul doesn't say don't grieve. He says, you know, in fact, he says you do grieve, but you do it in a different way. Mm-hmm. So we want to we want to give people the space to grieve, the yes. time to grieve, and we want to take that time ourselves. And this is where I think some of the secular observations, I always like to call them observations and not teachings, because right. you know, a teacher has to have some basis on which to teach. And uh, the only ultimate basis for truth is God's word and, and secular humanists, uh, you know, reject God's word. But yes. um, I think this is where those observations are helpful is that, uh, yeah, grief, there is a natural process to grief. Right. The problem is for an unbeliever, it becomes an endless tautology of just this unending cir- circle uh, and you never get out of it. For a believer, we go through the phase, we go through the process and we come out the other side. Yeah, you know, guess what? We don't always understand the way God works. Um, you know, I, I think you quoted off air before we started this morning about how God's uh, ways are are higher than ours, and and yes. we understand His judgments. Romans chapter. 11. Um, so, you know, we 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 may not know uh, sometimes why we're going through the grief that we're that we're going through. But, uh, you know, we can, the Bible talks about how down the road, we may be put in a situation where what the, the, the valley of grief that we walk through can be used to comfort others. That's right. Comfort those with the comfort we've been comforted with. That's right. You know, God has a plan. He's working it all together. God, you know, uh, does not uh, sanction or condone sin or evil or a hardship, but somehow he uses it and works it together uh, to bring about good. So these are things that you don't think about when you're in the midst of grief, um, because when you're facing, you know, real sorrow and suffering, uh, you, you know, you, you, your focus is on why, why, why this, why now? Uh, And, and it's, and, and you're crying out to God, you know? Um, But, you know, we have to keep the perspective that, you know, that's, that allows us to move beyond that. In other words, we can't camp out there uh, forever. We have to say with David, you know, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Yes. Shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. He says, in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. Yeah. Secret place of his tabernacle. He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And uh, he says at the end of this Psalm, Psalm 27, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. That's right. I say on the Lord. And I think that's a good passage to kind of uh, close out this discussion on because, you know, medically, 
I'm told there, there, there is a actual syndrome called broken heart syndrome, BHS. Yes. It's, it's because, you know, we know from scripture that our physical, our emotional and our spiritual aspects are all wrapped up into one holistic concept. And, you know, that's why Proverbs says, um, you know, uh, that, uh, a, a, a merry heart does good like a medicine. So yeah. laughter really is the best. Thing, you know? yes. um, and so all of these things are interconnected and, and it, you can be so broken hearted, so grief stricken uh, that it can actually cause a heart attack. You know, it can yeah. actually kill you. Um, yeah. And, and I don't know that David had that medical diagnosis in mind. Of course, that didn't come about till many centuries later. But certainly, he's describing what we might now call broken heart syndrome, and, yeah. and saying, "I would have lost heart." Um, yeah. you, know, I, you know, if I didn't have hope, if I didn't believe that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, right. I, I would have given up. And, yeah. and and many people do. Um, the highways of life are littered with. Broken hearted, grief stricken, bitter believers who, yes. contrary to what they should be doing, according to God's word, they've thrown up their hands and given up. And uh, that doesn't mean they're not saved. It doesn't mean they lose their salvation. Right. It just means that when life threw them a curve in a big way, they just chose to handle it the wrong way. And, yeah. um, but conversely, those believers who you know, handle life's curveballs uh, properly through yeah. a biblical lens, they become stronger for it, right? better for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And some of the most beautiful believers, uh, Curtis and Pastor, are those believers who have faced unspeakable suffering and grief. There's no doubt. And come out the other side. Yeah. And, and yeah. we look at them and we see a picture of the grace of God. We yeah. Picture of steadfast hope uh, and uh, peace that passes understanding, and you know if if you've ever been to the funeral of an unbeliever, you see firsthand what Paul was describing in First Thessalonians four about the different approaches right. to grief. Uh, yep. You see, you know, a, almost a panic-stricken grief. Yes, with no place, no refuge, right. no refuge to to find solace for their grieving hearts when they've lost a loved one. Yeah. If you go to the funeral of a believer, there's still tears. There are still suffering and people are sad, but it's a sadness that we know uh, is, is temporary and yeah. someday is going to, you know, be going to be reunited. And so uh, we have, an, we have the answers. I mean, that's the bottom line. Yeah. God yeah. gives us the answer just like That's it right. falls to everything else in life. And so, you know, I would encourage folks that if you're facing grief today, um, we in no way want to minimize that. That's right. Um, you know, Proverbs talks about how the heart knows its own bitterness and the stranger does not share its joy. In other words, yeah. I can never truly empathize with the level of grief that you're facing, even though I, I might try. Uh, yeah. But so, you, you know, you, only you and the Lord know what you're facing. That's right. Don't wallow around in that as those who have no hope. That's right. Remember that somehow, some way, God's going to get you through this. Um, don't lose heart, as David said, and uh, keep trusting him. 
and recognize that all of it is, is, is no comparison to what awaits us someday when we meet Jesus face oh, to face. Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> hallelujah. Wow. So I hope that, I hope that, you know, gives readers some hope and encouragement and a little bit of perspective on the concept of grief. Uh, I'm sure there's much more we could say about it, uh, but I just wanted to uh, give you my thoughts. I think it's a great topic and, uh, and look at a few key passages of scripture. Well, me, me too. I think it's a great topic and I think you treated it excellent in an excellent manner. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it's, uh, I kind of chose this subject this week, and we talked about this a couple days ago, uh, basically because I, I know some people that are going through it now. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I mean, I myself have gone through it. I hate to say it more often than I, than I would like to uh, have, uh, but I had to remind myself just, just as you were reminding us that, uh, of the hope that we do have. And, uh, you know, it, it's a totally different outcome. Uh, you come out of the, at, at the other end of it, so much stronger, uh, feeling, if it's possible, even feeling better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, in, in knowing some things and, and having that hope. So thank you for reminding uh, our listeners of that, JB. I really appreciate that. And I know that our listeners out there will too. Yep. Um, I want to take a, a moment to remind them also that, uh, you know, if they like the content they're getting now, uh, they can get more of it by, by uh, live streaming your church events, all of your church events at Plum Creek Chapelist Daily, Colorado, uh, by getting on to notbyworks.org. And they can, they can live stream your Sunday morning and Wednesday night services as well. Uh, and and uh, I would recommend that they do so. Uh, also, that we have uh, some uh, upcoming segments with Pastor Dick uh, this coming Saturday morning, and with Lucas Doremus on Saturday night here on the Christian Underground News Network. All good stuff. All all things that that uh, you'll find helpful if you uh, can make the time to listen. Uh, uh, God's word never goes out and comes back void. Uh, you'll get something out of it. And we'll get something out of providing it. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, we, we are greatly blessed by being able to do this. And uh, we're greatly blessed uh, by the fact that you've decided to listen in with us today. And JB, thank you again. We're, we're greatly blessed to have you on our team, brother. Well, the pleasure is all mine. And I uh, look forward to seeing you guys again next, uh, next Tuesday. And um Wendy and I are headed out on the road for the uh, leaving next Sunday for 10 days, but I'll still be able to do our regular Tuesday oh, uh, podcast from a hotel room, but we'll connect the best time to do that. But I'll be speaking up in uh, Washington and also a separate event up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And then, uh, and then we're going to swing over to California and attend a conference that I'm not speaking at, but just since we're that close, we're going to go over there and kind of be fed yeah. ourselves a little bit and, uh, and be back home. So, uh, yeah, we'll still have our, a lot of our regular stuff. I'll be posting the podcast from these special conferences that I'm speaking at, but look forward to being with you guys next Tuesday. And then don't forget, as you said, this Wednesday, tomorrow, we're going to continue yeah. our look at what, what is Calvinism. And we're talking about unconditional yeah. election and giving a, a hopefully gracious critique 
of Calvinism, which I believe uh, really uh, doesn't give an accurate understanding of the doctrine of salvation. Amen. Amen. I know it'll be good stuff. Hey, I, I do have a question for you, though, about your your conference in Washington. How close are you going to be in Spokane or, or how close to Spokane will you be? Yeah, we'll be in, speaking at Spokane Bible Church. Uh, so be in Spokane. And uh, that'll be uh, snack, that'll be Sunday the seventeenth. Uh, Sunday the seventeenth. We've got relatives that live there. Yeah. Uh, Pat. Yeah. Yeah. Sharon's uh, sister, Carol Sue, lives there. So tell them so, to come on over. Yeah. I'm, we're we're I'm, gonna we're gonna pass this on to Carol Sue because she listens to us faithfully. She listens to your segments and and Pastor Dix and Lucas. So she she'll be real happy to hear that that you're gonna be in town. I'll well, bet you you'll 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 get a chance to meet Carol Sue. I would be honored. You know, any any friend of Pastor Dick's uh, <laughs> needs better friends. I mean, as a friend of mine, so his is even more uh, special. So that's really <laughs> amen. Uh, so I'm All just right. speaking one well, we're time. Tell her. It'll be Sunday, uh, the seventh, July seventeenth at Spokane Bible Church. You go to their website and figure out the time, but uh, they've talked about having me do the Sunday school hour as well, but I'm not sure if they've made a decision on that, but uh, yeah, that, that can't wait. And then Wednesday, the 13th, so a week from tomorrow, I'll be at Candlelight in Coeur d'Alene, uh, Idaho, which is, of course, 30 minutes from Spokane. Okay. So. Right, right, right. Wow. Okay. Okay. Uh, as soon as we get done here, JB, I guarantee you that somebody here in this house is going to be on the phone uh, with Spokane, Washington. Yeah. At what, what's the church name? Spokane Bible Church. Spokane Bible. Thank you. All right. For our listeners, thank you again for being with us today. We're greatly blessed by having you, and we hope that you are greatly blessed by listening in. Uh, until we meet again on Saturday morning with Pastor Dick. This is the Christian Underground News Network signing off. May God bless and keep you. We'll see you Saturday.